We are back with Ron Fortier, <laughs> comic book writer, extraordinaire, pulp novelist for, you said, 50 years. 50 years for the comics. Definitely 50 years for the comics. The pulp stuff, I want to say the last two decades, about 20 years. Um, prior to that, I had I worked, I actually worked for a newspaper uh, and did some journalism. Uh, things that you know I picked up in high school was in the journalism club. Uh, but at the same time, you know, my passion for writing uh, really flared up in high school. And you know, give you a little history going back. I mean, by the time I got to high school, I was such a ferocious reader. And that's all due to comics. Right? Comics, you know, taught me the language, taught me to love storytelling, taught me to read. And by the time I was a freshman in high school, it, I, I, you know, I was an avid, still a comic book guy, but I was reading paperbacks, novels, everything else, anything I'd get my hands on, which it's why I love comics so much to this day. And I tell a lot of parents who have children who don't like to read, and my, my answer is always, give them a comic, give them a comic to read, okay? It, it's a sneaky way in because they look at the visuals, they think, you know, this is this, this is fun, whatever. But they're also reading. They are reading. And it can open that door. It can unlock that door. And once you become a reader, um, hey, the world's 10 times bigger for you than it was before. It's like, there you go. Okay. So anyways, that's the thing. I get to high school and I have this glory dream. I'm going to be a great comic book writer and artist. That's going to be my career. And look out Jack Kirby, and Gil <laughs> Kane, and Stan Lee, and all of them, right? Yeah, to the point where my freshman year, the realization dawns on me that whatever drawing skills I had, right, I had, I had acquired from my mom, who was a painter. She's very gifted, very talented, was. And the point being is I had a rudimentary skill of being able to sketch and draw. So even as a kid in grade school, I was making my own comics. But in high school, I literally found other young people who could really draw. Right, who had that gift. And so the reality of it was, I'm never going to be able to reach a professional, what I consider a commercial artist level mm -hmm. that I was finding in comics. And for a minute, it was like a downer, like, oh no, I can't work in comics. Of course, you know, that lasted for maybe 10 seconds because then I went, well, wait a minute, somebody's fighting these things, <laughs> right? I can do that. I know how to tell a story. I, so I thought I did. And lo and behold, um, hey, the powers that be put me, you know, had my path across this not, I went to a parochial Catholic school mm -hmm. who was my English teacher for the next three years. All right, I had it for three years. And she was so good. She was so intuitive that the minute I was turning in essays, it was one of those cases where, uh, Mr. Fortier, you like to read and write, don't you? <laughs> she, she just she got it immediately to the point where I was doing extra stuff for her, extra blah, whatever. We, I mean, she became a mentor, uh, an inspiration to the point where, like I said, when the school started a journalism club, she immediately put my name in and said, "Go get Ron. Ron's a great writer. He's, you have to be in the journalism club. All this good stuff." And my senior year before we graduated, one day in class. She was talking, we were, we were within a month of graduating. And she was talking about how she, you know, had enjoyed the last four years with our particular grade and students that made it up, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, 
I tell you, she said, though, one of the joys, she says, of being an English teacher is when you discover people who love storytelling. Yeah. And she says, you know, you've great hundreds of papers. And most of them are mediocre and they're fair, whatever. But then you find these nuggets. You find people who you know have that gift. And so she says, you know, without, without naming names, she goes, I can, I can probably, you know, predict that at least five people in the classroom right now, right, will one day be published writers with their names on all kinds of writers. And so, yeah, and literally when my first ever paperback uh, was published, uh, I went back and saw her. She graduated, she, she, they promoted her. She was the principal of the high school where I'd gone. And I went back and visited her for just one afternoon and showed her the paperback. And she just gave me a big hug and said, she said, I just, she said, I pray for you every day. She says, I know how much you love writing storytelling. And said, this really doesn't surprise me at all. She said, you just keep doing it. And so it was the last time I saw her uh, till years later, we had a 40th high school reunion, went back, she was there. And people amazing. She retired after I think something like 50 to 60 years teaching. Okay, and now they're ready, okay. So now the church sends her to this retirement home, Massachusetts, but not, all right? Well, she's there maybe a few months. I got the story from other classmates or whatever, right? She's there probably a few months and finds out that there are a lot of Hispanic immigrants coming into Boston who know not how to speak English. So she gets involved with the local community and starts teaching a class, a night class, for immigrants to learn English. She lived till she was 97 and she never stopped teaching. Boggles the mind. Boggles the mind. So, yeah, so I, you know, again, like I said, the comics go back to but all of this, the comics I've been doing since, since the, the late 70s when I started getting published. I still do it. I've got tons of projects on my table right now, new ones, still hacking away at it. But it was about 20 years ago that the novel was written about 25 years ago. And it was something I wanted to get out of my system. But then when I started this whole pulp thing, right, my art director started kicking me in the butt saying, I know there's some of these characters you like. So I started reading short stories. So yeah, so for the past 20 years or so, I, I juggle back and forth. So even as we're talking right now, I'm literally writing a Western pro story. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm writing the outline for a movie script. All right. I have a vampire story I'm committed to finish by the end of summer, and I'm working on five different comic projects. And I'm supposed to be retired. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, it just seems like the, there's so much love and passion there that, that it's it's not something that'll ever drift, drift off. And it, it's something that was was there with you when you were really young, I, one of my favorite stories from your memoir was your dad got into comics because he was a GI and they would it was easy for them to carry around. And so the, he then brought comics home and you wanted them when you were a kid. Yeah. And then, so he ended up buying one for himself and then one for you that you could kind of Destroy. Yeah. I just put it in my mouth and rip apart and whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, that, that's that's where the whole love of confidence came from. Okay? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, anyways, right. Um, and the passion for it as well. We were talking during the break, and and one of the things that we wanted to both talk about was an experience I had early on in my career going back to that San Diego comic book, mm -hmm. right? Because we went over the Terminator thing. All right. So if your listeners will, you know, go back a little bit. I go to San Diego with the dream of selling the Green Hornet project, which ultimately happened. But at the same time, prior to that, my agent had brought me over to Now Comics. And basically what had happened was they had hired a science fiction writer to write the Terminator yeah. comic book, okay? Uh, okay, so as we talked earlier, writing comics and writing prose is two different things. So this gentleman they hired to write the comic book had no clue how to write a comic. And he was basically turning scripts that were so word heavy that there was no room for the art. And the artists were going crazy. They didn't want to work with this guy. They hated the scripts, blah, blah, blah. By then, they'd done like seven or eight issues. Fans were writing saying they didn't like it. You know, hey, this was a great movie. We saw it, you know, with Arnold Schweinsteiger, blah, blah, blah. We saw all those movies. You know, this is great. How come this book is so dull and boring? It doesn't make any sense. And so here I am talking to, you know, the publisher, and he's like, well, you know, we, we need a new writer. Think you'd like a shot at it? And it caught me flat-footed because, you know, again, you have problems, but it, I'd seen the, it, only the first movie come out. I'd seen it and enjoyed it, mm -hmm. okay? Just said, okay, it's great. But I didn't know what else I could do with this. And I, I, I you know, gonna let it go. So we go through the rest of the day, that day of the convention. By the time it's all done, we go out to dinner someplace, we end up going upstairs to our room, my wife and I, and we're sitting there. And my wife's all excited because I've just met, you know, a, a professional company. And they're offering me a job to write a professional comic book that's going to come out every month. And I'm going to get a checkbook. I'm going to get paid for writing comics, all right? And so Valerie is wicked excited, but she can sense I'm not. So finally, she looks at me, and I basically said, I don't want to write this. I, I, don't, want, I, I don't know what I can do, but I don't, it makes no sense. Yeah. At which point she got really mad, really mad. I, I mean, you know, she's not going to throw things, but I could tell. You, know, you, you can see this in, in her eyes. She lets you know, okay? To the point where she finally sat down and said, look, she goes, this has been your dream all your life. She says, you've gone up and down, backwards and forwards. You've had tons of rejection slips over the years. You've never stopped. Keep plowing away. You know, and she goes, so here we are. We're half a country, you know, we're across the country. We live in New England. She says, we came all this way out for you to write. And you're going to turn down an offer to write a comic book, a monthly comic book. She goes, how do you call yourself a writer? Nail me flat, all right? And she was right. She was 100% right. I didn't have that luxury. Who was I? I was a nobody. I'm, I'm the smallest little fish in this big pond, all right? And I want to get out there. And so, okay, you know what? I'll find a way. I'll find a way to make this work for me. So the next day, we go back down, and I told the publisher, okay, shook hands. I said, when I get back home, I'll send you some plot ideas. Said, well, before you go, and sure enough, thank you, he gives me the nine, is the the eight issues they'd already published, mm -hmm. which was what I needed. So 
on the flight home, I was reading those eight comic books and immediately realized what was wrong with them, which again, they'd hired a prose writer who didn't know how to pace the comic book. Comic books have to be, you know, because they're visual, you want to see action, you want to see motion. You don't want talking heads. The kiss of death in any comic book is page after page of people talking to each other. All right. That's what we call talking heads. And that's all he was giving them. All right. I mean, I, I, it's amazing to me those with all of his artists quit on the spot after eight issues of nothing but this. And the idea is the story took place in the future. So if you remember the first film, right, the Terminators come from the past, including the, the hero who comes back to destroy him because he wants to kill Sarah Connor, blah, blah, blah. So that first son won't live, first son being John Connors, who yeah. fights the Terminators in the future to save mankind. Okay. And so they, the comic company decided to set the entire story in that future where that's going on. Well, I read those comics, I get home, back to the house, a couple days later, they're sitting on my desk in my office, and I'm sitting there looking, I'm looking through them, and that's when I began to realize, take notes, that all they did, all this writer ever, ever done was focused on John Connors, mm -hmm. whereas he's got all these rebels fighting with him, but he never personalized any of them, not a single one. They're like these faceless guys that supposedly go out and get killed or whatever, all right? It's just as long as you're on Connors, all right? And he has the lead role bubble. It's not how you do this. And the second thing is, I got away from the fact that it was science fiction, all right? Because I realized, okay, so basically you've got one force fighting another force. And I'm the, I'm the kid who grew up, you know, post-World War II when DC Comics was doing some of the best war comics ever done. Because most of GIs came home from World War II and went back to work in the comics, all right, including Joe Cooper, the artist, and Robert Conagher. Both were, were combat veterans of World War II. And they convinced DC to do war comics, one of which was our Army at War. And they created Sergeant Rock and East Company, which was perhaps the greatest war comic ever, ever done. All right. And the, the key is. Conniger's stories were believable. They weren't, they weren't glorifying war or not. They showed war for how ugly it was. But Conniger based his stories on his actual experiences fighting through Europe and, and defined not only Rock, the hero of the book, but his squad, so that you got to know all of them from issue to issue to issue. You saw their, their fears, their doubts, Moving forward, constantly, some of them die, all right? But it was that emotional hook that pulled you into the story. And I realized that's what Terminator was. It was a comic book. It, it was a war comic book. And if I used Conniger's mold and started defining all these guys fighting with John Connors, I would have food applause for the next six years. No problems at all. I would define all these other characters and we'd get to know them as the series went on. And so just like that, I started writing scripts and getting them done and literally ended up really enjoying writing that series yeah. because I found where the story was hidden. Story. Yes. And I love that, that there's just this kind of this nugget of a story that was underneath the surface that whole time that you, it was, it kind of took looking at it from a different perspective, right? 
to see where the story was and to, to find it and then express it. And then you have that that moment in, in your memoir where where you decide uh, your wife Valerie suggests, oh, don't cut off the finger. He was gonna cut off the finger. And she, that was probably one of my favorite moments. And uh, and she says, Don't that's 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 not what they would do. They would cut off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, okay. So the, the other thing, what what what's 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 all this through, all right. Yeah. One of the things in high school was like, here I am writing all these essays because I want to be a writer. And I, I'm doing extra essays and extra work and, and enjoy doing that. But to be quite honest, I struggle with grammar and I struggle with, with spelling. Okay. So this one nun I'm talking about was my mentor, right? One one day after class, I stayed after class and everybody got out. I'm like, I'm a little frustrated. She goes, what's the matter? And I went, well, I says, how am I going to be a writer if my grammar sucks? Right, or, or like I'm, I'm misspelling this or that, right? And she just started, she started to grin. She goes, That's not your skill. And remember what we talked about the technicals, right? Mm -hmm. What we talked about the technicals. She yeah. goes, What? She goes, You're a storyteller. Don't worry about that. She goes, When you sit down to write, write your story to the best of your ability. That's your gift. She says, You'll find plenty of editors who do the mistakes and the grammar. You know, full polish on that big deal, but it's your gift to tell a story. That's yours. So, again, wouldn't you know, I meet a girl, fall in love and get married. She's good at grammar and spelling. <laughs> so Val becomes my first reader. Every writer should have it. Stephen King wrote his book about writing. Tabitha, his wife, is his first reader. Okay? You always need that person who's going to read what you've done most likely within minutes after you've finished it, all right, and go through it with a technical lie, all right, and not get caught emotionally or whatever. And Valerie will never just pat me on the back and say, oh, this is good, whatever. No, she's reading it to see if it's a good story. She finds the misspellings, and she finds the grammar mistakes, and she tends it or whatever. And the next day when I start working, she gives it back. I make those corrections and go back on the story. Every so often, I'll stop and say, what do you think of the story? Because I appreciate her perspective and input. And so that led to that bit where in the plot being, this young 18-year-old fighter for John Connors gets caught by the Terminators. And so they're torturing him to tell where John Connors and his men have their secret base. Mm -hmm. But he won't tell them because he's a tough kid and he hopes they'll eventually come and rest. And as I'm writing it, I'm like caught in this little conundrum. Well, you know, these are soulless machines. They're going to torture this kid, all right? And But they're not going to get it. It's get it gruesome. All right, I'll have him cut off a finger, all right, to make him talk. <laughs> and I write that part of the script, finish it, and I hand it to Valerie. So she's in, you know, she's in the bedroom reading it, and I'm just waiting in my office to get some feedback. And I'm thinking, oh, she's going to really flip off when she sees I cut his finger off. <laughs> She comes back in the office and goes, nah. I said, nah, what? She goes, you cut off his finger. I said, excuse me? She goes, they cut off his tongue. And I just look at my judge. She goes, what? Why talking? They cut off his tongue. And of course, it made all the sense of the world. It did, all right? It's, it's, it's gross and violent, but that's what they would have done. So I altered the script. They cut off the kid's tongue. Right, and before they can do anything else, Connors and the team eventually come and save him. Yeah, his tongue's gone. All right, so two things come from that. 
Number one, it makes for a better story. She understood that. And she got it. She made me realize it as well. For number two, I'm left with the character, still an active member of the storyline, of the plots of the characters. Now he can't talk. And becomes an even better character. Yeah. All right? Which was a challenge as a writer to do him justice when he can't communicate like the others. Right? And now he evolves into this other. So, again... The, the epilogue of this little anecdote is that following year or at this San Diego, I was sitting at the booths, right? And I'm autographing Terminator angry. And Valerie's sitting behind me with the publisher and editor. This young teenage boy comes up with copies of the Terminator. He puts them in front of me and I'm signing, right? So I said, you enjoying the series? Oh, yeah. He goes, he said, when they cut off Billy's tongue, that was so cool. <laughs> So I look over my shoulder at my wife and she's like, <laughs> yeah, don't tell me weaker sex. Okay. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. All right. I think I'm just kind of struck by this. This, this passion for storytelling, for, for expressing yourself, for being creative. And, and also you have this, this wanting to share that. Okay? Share it with, with future generations, share it. You've been so open talking with me and have such wonderful conversations that it's it's something that I think is very unique to you that. And maybe other other authors do this too, but I, I feel like you just want other people to experience the magic of storytelling. Oh, you want them to experience the magic of of not just comics, comics too, but that that authorship and what comes along with that. Right, right. I mean, all right. I the the, the idea with storytelling. I mean. Again, it's just, it goes back to being a child and realizing that I could entertain people by telling them stories, right? And when I began doing that to the point where it became professional, as, as, as a writer, I, I gained such a great sense of satisfaction, right? The truth of the matter is, and, you know, I'm not going to get on a soapbox here too much, Rich, okay. But uh, I've always been a person of faith. Right? I've already mentioned the Provost. Yeah. Right? And that's been a thing that, that's been, you know, like a roller coaster ride up and down, up and down for a while. But now, like I said, I look back on this 50 year career and don't wonder. I've, I've, I've begun to realize that I was meant to write comics. That's my gift. Okay. That's my gift from God. It is my gift from God who arguably is the greatest storyteller in the world, all right? Because you open up, you know, the Gospel of John, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I can't ever read that and not get chills, okay? God writes, and existence happens. That's the kind of writer he is, all right? So... I, I sincerely believe, and it's part of my faith, it's part of my upbringing, what my parents taught me, what my relatives taught me, my friends, whatever, 
is that each of us is so unique, right? Each of us is so special to God. We really are, right? That he he views each and every one gift, all right? A real gift, unique, unique to you, unique to me, all right? And the, and the Bible tells us that this, this, it's in the, it's in, you know, the gospels, the actually uh, the gospels themselves. There's a part in there where it talks about if you have a gift, right? If you have a treasure, you don't hide it under the bed, right? If you have a brilliant light coming out of your soul, right? You don't put it under a basket. You don't disguise it, all right? You let the light shine, all right? So that realization, that understanding that this is my gift, okay? But if I did nothing to it, if I had gone through my life working, Again, the paycheck, coming home, having a beer, watching the game on TV, hanging out with the and done none of this, all right? That would have been the greatest sin of my life, right? It would have been sin. It would have destroyed, right? I need to use this gift. I need to use it every day of my life to hopefully entertain again, go back to that full circle, so that people who hear my stories who read my books, who read this, whatever, end up feeling better about themselves, enjoying their day, maybe a little more than they did before, all right? I mean, hey, come on. This, No, I'm not a great doctor. I'm not going to find a cure for cancer or whatever, right? But do you know what it's like to be sitting at a convention and have somebody walk up to you, okay, in their, in their service, and literally say, well, when I was, you know, 12 and 13, my parents were going through a divorce and it was rough. And my brother, my sister, the family, and everybody was broken, broken hearted. Dad was moving out. We were busted. I love her. And I was reading your Green Hornet comics and they were the only light in my life in those days. Rich, I, I'm, I, I don't know what to say to that. I am just, I am so humbled. Okay, I am, I am just floored, right? So that, you know, here I am, just a comic book guy, writing stories. But again, over the years, I've begun to understand that that's part of that mosaic, right? We all have to contribute our gift, all right? We'll, we'll never see the big picture, not in this world, all right? But we all have a gift, and it's a part of that mosaic that God creates. That he sees, and we touch millions of lives that we know them. I mean, I meet these people at cons. What about all the hundreds I haven't met? But what did my comics do for them? Or, you know, what what joy did they bring them? What little turn in their lives did it give them? You know, some hope, some positive, you know, feedback that you know, yeah, the world's not such a bad place. Look, we have these great comic books and stuff like that, right? Then it's you know, little things, but they're all apart. You're all part of that grand mosaic of life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not getting on a soap opera because I already just, like I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a comic book guy. That's what I am. Okay. So, yeah. I, I, and, and I guess, you know, we'll, we'll get to probably, you know, segue into where you want to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. But years ago, I mean, Going back to like about five or six years, okay, I'm, I'm turning 70 at that time, right? 
and looking back on his career and really, really happy and, and learning all these things. Like I'm telling you about meeting fans, beginning to understand some of the impact I've had in my life, the good impact that it's done, all right? That I didn't give up on this gift, that I worked it, I honed it. And because of that fact, again, it's only deepened my own faith, much more so, okay? So that I thank God every day for it. Every day I get up, I thank him for this, right? And then go to the office and say, okay, lead the way. Right? What am I going to write today? What am I going to do today? Or what am I going to write? And I'm, I want to say the last, the last two years of that realization, that understanding of where my gift fits into my life and my story, all right? All of a sudden, it's like, he's like turning on all kinds of different light bulbs inside of me. And I am more excited now than I was 50 years ago, right? I've got projects that I'm doing that I feel like I'm 13 years old. I'm that little kid again. And I'm working with some new artists for the first time. And that's wicked excited, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing kinds of scripts that I never thought I'd do before, all right? So there's no let up. There's absolutely no let up. Every day is, is a new blessing and a new challenge and more stories to tell. I'd like to say something in there that, that, that we all have this unique expression of life. And that we all, I love that you said we're all also a little piece of the greater whole. And then we can come to life with, when we come to life with that gratitude that you were describing. And then that, that curiosity of what could come, what could come today, what could come right now. You don't know. You do not know. Again, it's. I, I, the, the sadness I find in the world, honestly, okay, what I see around those people, right, is that especially in our times, okay, mm -hmm. is that those people who don't have any faith at all, none whatsoever, okay, uh, my heart goes out to them. Because if you do not have a faith in a greater power, all right, if, if you're going to wake up every morning and think, this life is unplanned, un, you know, orchestrated, that all you are is a random element in it. How nervous do you want to get out of bed? What's the purpose? What are you gonna do? All right. I and so it's it's here's the light switch. All right. There is a creator and there is a plan. All right. That's the core of it all. All right. I'm not the creator. All right, I am one of his creations. And I know that I feel it in my bones. My faith is that strong, all right? So every day I have that insurance, that assurance that I'm part of the plan. I am really part of the plan. And I do the best I can to reach out to those friends of mine, all right, the people I meet on social media or whatever, right? Who don't, who don't, who like, you know, Oh, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in this. They don't believe in anything. And my heart goes out to them because, you know, sometimes they get a survey and they get cynical, right? And they, they call you names because you believe in this greater being, this greater power, right? But my logic dictates it would take more faith to believe there is no plan. 
how can I look at the universe? How can I look at the sky? How can I look at trees, rocks, physics, science, and all that? Say, random, just an accident. I ain't got that much faith, I think atheists are insane. Like, how do you go through life ignoring? There's a plan. And if there's a plan, there's a plan. And I don't want to. I want to. I know. I don't want to. To uh, make any any listeners out there, you know, feel bad or anything like that. But but and and I would say that there is something underneath. There is something that it gives you life and it gives you breath. Right. And there is a there is a power there that you can connect with that has been there your entire life and. Oh my gosh! It's, it's incredibly intelligent. It's it's amazing. Well, this this is this is the point. This is the point of basically, you know, why I I I have to speak out and say this only because it makes me who I am mm-hmm. and it makes me happy. All right, in a world that sometimes isn't very happy, it's very dark, and we live in an age again. Go back, you know, violence. Random shootings, wars across the world, right? Third world countries, people starving, that all this, right? Man, it is so easy to lose hope. All right, to look to look at the world the way it is, all right, and put your head down and say, might as well just end it all now, all right? Because we live in dire times, and we always have. But that's the world, all right? A world that's chosen to go off on its own and say again. You know, I'm in charge. I'm totally in charge of myself. Okay, I can fix this. I can do this. I can do that. And my hands are that old. How well have you gotten along? How well is that serving you? All right. Whereas the the other the other side, and a, 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 a good friend of mine, a pastor, a Catholic priest, recently made a comment which I absolutely love. Right? He goes, "If you have faith, real faith." Genuine trait, okay? He says, when you walk around with a smile on your face because you have comfort in that thing. And that's all I was talking about people who go, all right? I want to share mine because it hurts me to see they don't have that comfort. They don't have that inner joy, that inner knowledge that the gift they have is to be used. It's to be used not for just their aggrandizement. All right. Again, with the fact that I didn't become a writer just to pat myself on the back and say, hey, I'm a great writer. That's right. That would have been such a misuse of my talent. And 10 to 1, it probably would land flat on my face. All right. Because fame and glory are fleeting, they mean nothing. All right. Whereas I try to be the best writer I can and tell the best stories I can. All right. Because someday I'll be dust. Someday I'll be a memory, right? How are people going to remember, right? That all I did was chase after fame and fortune and everything else, or that I was a genuinely nice guy who liked to get together with his friends and share stories, right? That's the me I hope I am. That's the me I try to be every day in my life. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love that you brought up hope too, because hope is is magic. Hope is is magic, and and I think that the the people that that don't see it, they have that gift. They have the gift of life within them. Yeah. And we can we can look away from it. We can look away and 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 forget. But we can also remember, and it sounds like you're you want other people to remember that they have that gift of life within them. And one of the ways that you can do that is through the stories. And I almost I got this this it's almost like you 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 say I'm an author, but you also say that you kind of give up your pen. You you let the stories come through you. Right. Yeah. Again, it's 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 again it's it's just the recognition. If it is a gift, yeah. Then I didn't make it. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. I am flesh and blood like you and all of us. All right. Mm-hmm. And I am growing. All right. And I've had health issues and all the kind of things that we do. I am immortal. I will not, this body will not live forever. All right. But is there a soul? Is there a, a, an identity in you that says, this is who I am? I am. You know, I am. I am. I am. All right. And so here's this gift. Here is this amazing gift, all right? I mean, honestly, Rich, I, I, I can have so much fun these days at 76 years old and still slap myself in the face and say, where is this coming from? Why me? Right? Of the bazillion of people on the planet Earth, right? This is the gift I was given. But you and everybody listening to this show has a gift. Well, and I will argue that till I'm blue in the face. They were made for a purpose. They are here. They need to find that gift, and they'll know it. It's in them. All right, let it go. Let it go. It does no good if you keep it bottled up. Give it to the rest of the world. And I don't care if it's playing a guitar. Okay, I don't care if it's shooting hoops. I don't care if it's being a doctor. I don't care if it's being a lawyer. I don't care if it's being a scientist. I don't care if you're the greeter at Walmart. Good morning. Come in. Have a nice day. You've got a big smile on your face. Oh, what kind of a gift that is, right? I mean, I knew the story of a monk, all right, down in Georgia. You know what he used to do? Every morning after breakfast, he'd just walk up and down the street in front of the, the monastery and say, wave, say good morning. People going to and from work. That was his gift. He would put smiles on total strangers driving by to you to work. This little monk, he'd wave at them and say, good morning. Wasn't trying to convert them. Wasn't trying to preach. Just giving them a human face with a smile on it. Wow. You know, it's worth billions of dollars. I don't care what anybody says, all right? So again, there is not one single person who walks the face of the earth right now who doesn't have a gift. All right? Share it. Bring it out. Own it. Perfected and give it to the rest of them. Please, we all need it. We all I need yours. You need mine. We all can. I I think that's a perfect, perfect way to end our our wonderful conversation today. Um, thank you so much for joining me. And yeah, yeah. 
if you would like to check out Ron, I'll, I'll in, include some of his uh, his work in the show notes. And uh, he will be at Fort Collins Comic Con and possibly might be teaching a, a course uh, at Front Range on creating comics. Yeah, well, yeah. Part of their uh, fall adult uh, continuing education program, which is held at night at Front Range Community College here in Fort Collins. Uh, I've taught an eight-week course on how to write comics and graphic novels. And uh, I've done it four times in the past and had a ball doing it. Uh, I've had students that go from ages of, I had one class where I had six students, the youngest was 13, mm -hmm. the oldest was 65. <laughs> and all of us, the ball. I, I do the best I can to make it a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And hopefully by the end of those eight weeks, uh, I teach those, you know, the, the skills of how to do a professional script and how to do a professional presentation. And if you're ever love comics and want to know a little bit more on how to do them, then yeah, I'd love to have you in a future class. Yeah. And they they need enough people to sign up, and so uh, we're gonna we're gonna do that with with the podcast today and uh, in in the future. Yeah. So thank you, Ron. Thank you for your your creativity, your connection, your insights, and your stories. Thank you, Rich. This was fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Rich Life Realization Podcast. May these conversations help you experience your richest life. To contact me about being a guest on the podcast or about coaching, email me richliferealization at gmail.com or text or call 970-716-0075.